Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Jay-Z Microphones. For over a decade, Jay-Z Microphones has combined all the critical elements of world-class microphone manufacturing, patented capsule technology, precision electronics, and innovative industrial design. Jay-Z Microphones' deep understanding of technology is informed by their open-minded, innovative approach. Trust us, sound can be glorious. Recording. For more info, please go to jzmike.com. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM podcast. I am Al Levy, and I just want to tell you that this show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring you one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Lamb of God. Meshuga, Periphery, A Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, Opeth, many, many more. And we give you the raw multi-tracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder, which are pro-quality multi-tracks that are cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at NailTheMix.com. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about a brand new product we just launched. The Complete Beginner's Guide to Recording Rock and Metal. It's a short two-hour course hosted by Ryan Fluff Bruce, where he walks you through every single step of the process for recording a complete song from scratch in a simple home studio. If you've been thinking about getting into recording, but you weren't sure where to start, this is for you. He gives you a list of exactly which gear that we suggest you get, shows you how to set it all up, then gives you a step-by-step guide to record a guitar, bass, and vocals, and programming MIDI drums everything you need to record an awesome high quality demo with no more than a few hundred dollars worth of gear and just to make sure you have absolutely everything you need the course includes copies of toneforge menace and gain reduction by joey sturgis tones and a virtual drum plugin from drumforge that's over 200 dollars in software included with the course so it's pretty much a no-brainer if that sounds cool to you you can get instant access to the course and all the included plugins at recordingmetalguide.com. And one last thing I want to tell you about, and this is really cool, I want to tell you about a cool new partnership we've got with Empire Ears. They make a quality in-ear monitor that lets you bring your studio with you anywhere. Seriously, you can mix with these. And I know it sounds crazy for me to say, but it is absolutely true. If you're at all mobile with your audio or you are in a situation where volume is a problem like you mix out of an apartment you may want to check these out and here's how it works basically urm users are getting hooked up with an exclusive discount and personalized support and think about it like this how sick is it to be able to take your reference with you every single place you go With Empire Studio Response Monitor, you can have a flat response sound you can trust every single place you go. So for more info, just reach out to Dylan at EmpireEars.com for details. That's D-Y-L-A-N at E-M-P-I-R-E-E-A-R-S.com. All right, here goes. I will shut up now. Welcome to the unstoppable recording machine podcast my guest today is the one and only devin townsend who's a guitarist singer songwriter producer and general renaissance man through various genres particularly progressive metal but you know that's kind of 
selling him short. Uh, is based currently out of Vancouver, Canada, but Devin has been everywhere in the world, possibly just not Antarctica, playing music. His career spans a time from the early years of developing his sound, being the vocalist for Steve Vai in the early 90s, to creating bands such as Strapping Young Lad and releasing solo work under the Devin Townsend Project and about 50 more things that if I sat here and started naming, it would take up all the time. <laughs> uh, it's also produced several things, most notably uh, Lamb of God. Welcome, sir. Thanks, man. It's good to talk to you again. Likewise. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has. It's uh, it, Years just keep flying by, and uh, when I think back to how long it has been, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Everything seems like it was yesterday. I think that that time that we came on your bus and you recognized us and like the first time we met, that was, I think, 11 years ago. Holy shit, man. You were doing the project or with 12. Sean back then. That's, that's, yes. Because it was with Cynic at the time, right? That we were out with. and uh, That's right. That was actually the first, I think it was the first tour that, uh, that I did with that band, with uh, Devon Townsend Project. And um, yeah, man, 11 years, Jesus, crazy. I know, it really does fly by mm-hmm. in a blink. Yeah, that's why I think it's important just to to keep pounding through these ideas. You know, it's like, I'm sure it's the same with you, but I've got a checklist of potential ideas and projects that I want to achieve, you know, before you die kind of thing. And uh, so you just keep howling them out one after the other and in hopes that uh, you can enjoy the, the process as you go. Does that list ever get altered, or has it kind of been the same list for a really long time, and you're just going down it systematically? Well, I mean, certain things get amended where you might go through a project and realize that your interest in an avenue is not as great as it once was, and then uh, you can modify your, your plans. But I also think that age and kids and, and all these things come into it and just modify your life plans full stop, where perhaps my... Um, obsessive need to be productive for the past 10 years or whatever was more of a more of a uh, more of a like an addictive mechanism that got shifted away from from booze and drugs and now I'm you know I'm just kind of like my list of things that I want to do include a lot more uh doing fuck all <laughs> <laughs> actually this is something I did want to talk to you about cuz uh you know it's something that I can relate with and you were one of my uh inspirations behind this, but when I decided to stop playing guitar and stop producing and pursue URM full-time, it was kind of weird mentally uh, because I had defined myself one way forever, for like 20 years, Um, and people knew me as one thing. And so, you know, it it's, I mean, you could lie and say that it doesn't that you know, just do that new thing, whatever. But it's uh, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And I actually think that a lot of people don't, uh, you know, they don't quit something when they should. And there are times when I think that, you know, something has hit its expiration date, and for whatever reason, maybe the project just lost. You know, you did what you needed to do with it, or you lost chemistry, or your interests are not what they were at one point in time. Uh, I know that you've done that several times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is this something that comes naturally to you? Well, no, I mean, I think in retrospect, I can rationalize it as such, but um, I think um, what you just hit on as well is is of a lot of interest to me right now. It's, uh, I think part of following the creative uh, compulsions 
requires you sometimes making decisions that seem absurd. Like uh, the idea, for example, with yourself of, of, of stopping being a professional guitar player and moving into an entirely different field, I'm sure when you were learning guitar would have just been uh, like a preposterous thought. Asinine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the same, um, same, same with both of, um, I guess, the bands that I've done. At a certain point, perhaps I would have not had thought um, I would have quit them. But I think it makes much more sense to follow into a into a completely new avenue like you've done uh, than I think most of us would give it credit for. And it takes a lot of internal uh, strength too, right? Because you get something that's comfortable. And then, you know, I found that even at the end of DTP, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, this would be easy for me to maintain. I know what the pattern is here. Uh, I know what it requires in terms of the social engineering with the people involved with it. And uh, there's a there's an archetype musically here that I think I've got a, a modest fan base that will continue to buy. So therefore, I just need to figure out what that formula is and just keep hitting it. But my motivations for what I try and do creatively have been, since the very beginning, aligned with... Um, I think my personal growth on some level, and as pretentious as that sounds, you know, I think I've been going back to childhood and trying to figure out where the basic dysfunction was. And on some level, the loophole for uh, emotional um, expression, which wasn't encouraged in my childhood, was I could do it in music and get away with it. And so everything kind of got hardwired to that. And as a result of that, through the growth that one uh, hopefully uh, makes as a human being, it takes you through all these dilemmas, you know, whether or not it's anger or, or uh, love or sadness or depression or, or what have you. And, and it was never a conscious decision to impose that on an audience. It just kind of became what I did for a living, which is fortunate in the sense that I have a career and it's provided me with a livelihood and what have you, but it's unfortunate in that as one's emotional uh, profile changes, that just means that things are going to fall by the wayside and you never know where that's going to go. A lot of times I wonder if eventually I won't be doing this at all, but um, in the meantime, you just have to follow it where it goes and use your interviews as a, a way to try and rationalize these, you know, <laughs> irrational things to people. <laughs> Did the, uh, I guess, the factor of having to deal with other people affect you at all in these decisions? I mean, you made the decisions, and I remember you always being really strong about them. Like, you're done with this band because you're done with it, and you're no longer in that headspace the end. But uh, I'm sure that every single night that you were on tour in the next band and getting emails... Uh, you would have people just yeah, clearly who couldn't believe that you would do that because um, I know I got it on a way smaller level, way smaller level when I stopped playing guitar. Like I'm sure it's a f fraction of what you would have gotten for stopping strapping, but it still would be like I'd get these feelings <laughs> like, well, who are you to tell me what, that I should still be playing guitar? And if you like what I did, go listen to it. But I'm not required to no, make you that. any more records. I get a little pissed about it. Would you ever have anything like that? Well, I do clearly, yeah. But I also think that there's, although I, I it's it's inevitable that I that I get pissed at it. I try to, for my own uh, mental health, also take the point of view of 
of, okay, well, if somebody is that, um, got such an emotional investment in, in something that I've done in the past that they can't let it go, then, you know, I did it right. So, hooray. But uh, I think that ultimately, you know, part of the, the trip for me has been, uh, you know, a, a type of low-lying insecurity that I think uh, only recently, either to do with age or just uh, tenacity, is, is starting to level out. But um, I used to feel like I needed to apologize for it. I needed to feel like uh, if people were uh, upset that I wouldn't do it, I not even apologize, but rationalize it. Just be like rationalize, oh. yeah, yeah. And uh, but after a certain level, just like you say, you're just like, oh, just get fucked, man. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not like I don't care about the audience. It's not like I don't care about the fact that people have an emotional investment in it. It's just, it's not going to factor into my decisions. So it's just wasted effort, right? I do believe it's wasted effort. It was just, you know, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's starting to be so long that I don't get it as much as I used to. But the other day, two weeks ago, I spoke to somebody who I hadn't spoken to in 10 years from my local scene in Atlanta. Just someone who I knew back in the day, actually longer. I knew it from the days before, I knew him before Doth was signed. So more like 15 years. And spoken to him that long. He hit me up online and was just like, let's catch up. It's like, all right, I have an hour. Let's catch up. And uh, he asked me about it. And I told him, yeah, I don't don't play anymore. Uh, I do this. I do URM now. Um, I do it full time. I can't do anything else. This is way too consuming. Um, And I I said what I wanted to say with guitar a long time ago. And I have nothing left (laughs) to say with it. So that's it. He's like, you don't really mean that. No, actually, I really do mean that. It's like, no, man, that's just so disappointing. It's like, what do you mean it's disappointing? You Like, I said I'm done. I did what I needed to do. No, man, that's just not right. That's just not right. You don't have, like, hmm. that little itch for it. It's like, he just kept going and going and going. So it got me thinking about this again. I think that it's just hard for some people to understand that unless they've gone through it. But I also think that it's important for people to try to become a little more self-aware and realize that it's okay if the things that you want at one age are not the same things you wanted at a different age. For sure. But I, I, you know, I find I've, I've, you know, spent a lot of personal energy in, in trying to shift people's frame of mind who are fundamentally unshiftable and then at the end of it, I'm just, I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, I spent a ton of time here trying to make somebody see something that maybe they're just incapable of seeing. And I think that, you know, the, the frustration that I feel by those moments are only frustrating because I'm letting it now. Because for years, I, you know, people would be like, when's strapping coming back? And now I've, they're like, well, when's DTP coming back? And, and both of those scenarios have resulted in, like you say, a lot of rationalization to people that just don't, they don't care. They don't want to listen. They just want what they want. And, and I get it, man. I do. It's like, I've, I've also got, you know, I got a family member who's, you know, we'll get together at Christmas and he, he'd be like, well, you know how you make a million dollars? And I'm like, how, dude? He goes, he goes, well, you write a song for Celine Dion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, strangely, she's not returning my calls, but as soon as she does, oh, all right. you know what I mean? Cool. I'll see if she wants to do... Just like that. You know, a song about puppets or something. But it's, but, and, but it's not, it's like guileless. <laughs> There's no sense from, from this dude who I care for that he thinks that that's not an option in the same way that, 
maybe your buddy or your acquaintance there feels that clearly it's just a switch you can turn off and on. And I, I get there's a guy that uh, I haven't talked to since I was in a band locally in Vancouver 25, 28 years ago. We we're called Gray Skies. And I, I haven't seen this guy since then. And he came up to me and he was just, he's like, dude, that was the best thing that you ever did, man. You got to do that again. And I, and I was like, man, we really were bad. <laughs> it wasn't good, man. <laughs> it's like <laughs> all the things that, uh, that that band was trying to do is what I've been slowly trying to refine. And that also extends now into um, along the same lines. Uh, a lot of what I choose to do, like album to album shifts according to where my compulsions go. And, and often that's just a reaction to whatever came before. So if you do something heavy, I'll want to do something mellow and after something mellow I might want to do something commercial it's just one thing goes after the other but the reason why I've I feel like I've been fortunate enough to have a fan base such as I do that has been as supportive is that it's it's going in the direction that I'm compelled to go therefore it's emotionally authentic and sometimes that leads me to things that people just don't like like straight up like people will be like hey I really liked what you did in the past where it was more like guitar, bass, and drums oriented. And now you've got all these fucking choirs and the orchestras and all these samples. And uh, it's not of the same quality, in my opinion, to what you did in the past. And my reaction to that is similar. I'm just like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's, it's like, that's what I want to do. I'm not doing it to be provocative. I'm not doing it to try and uh, compel you to like something that you don't like. It's just that's where I'm going. If you don't like it, I get it. Also, that stuff you did in the past still exists. Yeah. I mean, you can always go listen to that. It's not It's not going anywhere. Years ago, we toured with Godflesh, like maybe 2002 or something. And lead singer of that band, uh, you know, he's done all sorts of things like, you know, techno and, and his Yesu project and, and all sorts of electronic ambient things. Yet... The amount of shit he gets for not just repeating street cleaner over and over and over and over and over and over again is is crazy. And and also, I'm sure you see bands that both you and I know that are like, okay, maybe we're getting a little older. Maybe we realize that um, finances are something that we need to be a little more considerate of now. So we're going to consciously try and recreate what we did in the past. Yes. And they'll put out a new version of that record that everybody loved with like updated production. And But it's <laughs> not only is it not going to be the same, but they're just going to get mad shit for it as well from the same people that were asking for it. It's like, well, it's not as good. It's like, Jesus. Man. See, that's, that's actually the thing that, I think the people who say these things to us don't understand is that that record you love was product of a certain time period when the artist was in a certain place mentally, emotionally, whatever. That It's a moment in time. It's a moment that's never going to come back. So even if they were to record the same notes, it would not feel the same because they're not the same people anymore. So you can't expect that out of them. And Name me one artist through history, musical or otherwise, who has been able to sustain the same type of thing forever. Uh, you know, they through their entire career at the same level of quality, the same level of inspiration. It just doesn't work that way. 
Well, two things. One, I had heard recently from a, a producer buddy of mine. His theory is that people should just only be allowed to make four records, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> was pretty good. It's not a bad one. <laughs> I agree. And then the second thing is, uh, you know, as much as we're talking about it, I, I, I've been sort of thinking as we've been speaking about this, how I feel about this, and it honestly doesn't bother me now. I mean, it, maybe there's a bit of an irritation when people are, are asking for it, but it doesn't play into it. I don't care. And it's... it's um, I guess there's a part of me that sheepishly says that because on some level I feel like I should care. You know, specifically if these are the same people who have been paying my bills for for however long, but I just I just don't. But they're paying <laughs> they're paying your bills to because they love what you do when you're being yourself. So by doing what they want, I mean maybe it's aligned at times, but yeah, it is. I agree. I I, agree. I know that's a good point. That's a good point. I also think it's funny just along this line and, and sort of veering to the to the right or left, depending on your point of view. Um, recently, I played Israel again, and um, I just get tons of shit for it. You know what I mean? And it's like I don't talk about politics online. I don't talk about religion online. I mean, it's like as much as it may appear like um, like a fence sitting stance, I just. I uh, am not informed enough to be able to passionately argue much when it comes to these things. Neither are most people who would give you shit about it. Well, this is it, and and but there's there's a, a flip side to that, you know. So first off, yeah, you know, um, I went to Israel recently as an acoustic thing because I like to travel. It allows me. I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to see a bunch of things that I would never have gone to see uh, had I not had these. Same reason I'm going to go to. Uh, Singapore and Dubai and, and all these places. It's just me and an acoustic guitar. I get to travel. And by being there, you're able to see and be more informed, which I think uh, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do. However, conversely, uh, artists are, are asked not only to make political stands about uh, where they play or what their music is representing or, or what have you, but we're also, anytime we do make a political stand, we're told... To shut the hell up. Shut the fuck up. So it's like, I don't think we can spend a whole lot of time factoring that in. I think you have to be conscious enough to know what your music is is directly being aligned with. Like, you know, if a, if a government that was involved with these things were bringing you there, that would be a different story for me. But at the same time, I got a buddy at Fox News that... that keeps asking me to come back on the show and I just and as much as I care for the guy I just I'm like man it's I'm just not informed enough for this and it's too polarizing at this point for me to to be comfortable with that right so and I think in the same way it's like the same sort of entitlement that that um sometimes as artists we interpret the audience to have like like uh, the audience is demanding that we do something that we're no longer capable of doing, or the audience is demanding that we back something, or or that our music is aligned with a, a particular ideology or or whatever. It's 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 just there's there's no black and white to any of this stuff, and uh, specifically the issues. So I think as artists, we've just got to kind of let it go because the option is just you're stressing about stuff you can't do anything about, right? That's a very wise position. Um, were you always able to think about it that way or is this more of a recent thing? Did you come come to this? Yeah, I've been forced to think about it. I never wanted to got think it. about any of this stuff, man. It's like it seems, it seems completely in opposition to um, the insular nature of what it is that I do. It's... 
Like I said earlier in the interview, I, I'm very fortunate. I don't take it for, for granted that I have a career doing this. But as I also mentioned earlier, the genesis of this whole career was ultimately about uh, finding a loophole that I could express myself emotionally as somebody who was highly sensitive, right? So all of a sudden now people are, are saying, okay, well, you don't eat meat, so therefore you must align yourself with this or... <laughs> You know, or you don't, uh, yeah, or like, are you pro-cannabis or anti-cannabis? And, and you know what I mean? And I'm just kind of like, I have to come up with something that I think is is diplomatic so I don't come across as rude. But in my head, I'm just like, oh, fuck's sake, man. Let me just fucking <laughs> do my shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, actually, it's funny. I, um, I had recently a guitar player who's pretty well known hit me up by recently... I mean, a year and a half ago or something, but recently enough, uh, hit me up on Messenger and was like, you have a big platform now. Why are you not using it for social change? It's like, well, totally. what do you mean? Not? He's like, uh, you need to align yourself with this and this movement and try to do some good with your platform because you reach lots of people. It's like, well, actually, I am doing lots of good with my platform. I'm helping people get better at music. Totally. Music's important. <laughs> uh, the end. No, no, I agree, man. And I think it's a it's a fine line because it's if it's something that you, you came out of the gate intending on using your, your work to do, that's that's one thing. But I think what that also requires you to, to be is informed to the point where you can... Um, draw on your uh, conclusions and your arguments in a way that are unequivocal. And if you can't, then you're just, you're, you're fueling this sort of uh, constant state of misinformation even more and using your platform to do that. I mean, there's two things that I'd say. First off, for example, by having a chance to go to Israel recently and having a chance to talk to people about Palestine and having a chance to go, uh, you know, along the Gaza Strip there and, and seeing uh, Jerusalem and all that, I'm more informed. And that allows me to have uh, a certain amount of growth to my opinions that if uh, I choose to use what I do for any sort of a, a statement, it at least is coming from a place of, of, of uh, firsthand experience. And then second of all, I would say that um, well, clearly, I still don't know anything about politics, and I, I I hate the idea of having to learn them, and I hate the fact that my work is forcing me to have to learn. But um, what I would say about using your platform for for change and for good, this is the foundation of my point on this particular subject. Is I think there's too many people making too much noise, and no one's listening to each other, and I think. Uh, that's a gross generalization, but still, there's there's a certain amount of I think like, it's pretty accurate overarching truth to that. However, I think that the one way that we can um, incite change is to be analytical of our own personal growth in a way that we are able to constantly call ourselves out as we grow and and try and catch ourselves up on our own uh, shit. As we do that, the personal growth that we reflect in our art, I think, allows people who are interested in it to become interested in the methodology in which that occurs. And through that, if you change yourself, 
I think that that's a real tangible way of of changing others in a way that is is positive. And I mean, if people don't like the ways that you change, it's not like you're, again, provocative with it. They're just like, no, I don't like that. I'm not interested in that. And there you go, right? I think you're absolutely right. And actually, uh, something I said earlier is right in line with what you're saying about how uh, when I was making the decision to 100% go into this, I actually used you as an inspiration because of the way that you were about, at least publicly, the way that you were about leaving certain projects behind and moving on to other ones uh, when I decided that it, you know, it's time. And it was a pretty tough decision. Uh, oh, I yeah, actually man. looked at you as inspiration. And so that's exactly no, you. what you're talking about. Uh, I think that's how you help people. That's how you create change is by, I guess, that really cheesy uh, line of being the change. But it's true. I think that's the way you do it. I don't want to preach to anybody about anything. No, 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 absolutely, man, because I don't think anyone will listen. I mean, it's the same when people are asking, you know, we need to go out and protest and, and all this. I mean, I think there's a certain value to that, clearly, and I think there's a, a, a need to it in 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 uh, circumstances where those levels of injustice occur. However, um, again, unless you're informed to the point where you've got an investment in that, like, I really, this is my... This is my reason to be right now. There's so many things that one could take, you know, you could, about saving the whales or, or Palestine or, or any of these, these things. And I mean, I just don't know, man. I just don't have that information or, or, or that compulsion for whatever reason. But I do have the compulsion to try and um, make myself emotionally, uh, spiritually and physically more um, healthy. And I think that by doing that, there's certain things that all of a sudden do come into my line. And I'm like, this is clearly unacceptable to me now. And up to the point where I had investigated that, um, it was a non-issue. But now that I've done the work internally that um, navigates me towards my, my true north or whatever it is, this, this, and this are now long, no longer acceptable, and that becomes part of your work. and And I think that's a natural thing. But being bullied into it to a certain extent, no thanks. People saying, "No thanks," you know. And I mean, again, it's like I'm talking about the Israel thing because it was really upsetting to me on some level because I just, you know, the amount of I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about the political situation over there. I just, I, it's a bunch of people. I got friends over there. It's like just doing a show. I'm doing a show, right? And um, but the amount of people that were just like sending me like this horrible stuff is like you know stuff that makes you think clearly, but also things that are just like you know you you if you do this, you're a, you're a bad person essentially. And by that point, I mean I you know I I'd already booked the show. It's and I and I really. It was like making me think, which I guess is is part of people's agenda, just in in that sense as well. But at the same time, I couldn't, I didn't pull out of that because I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it, and I don't know, man. Well, honestly, I'm glad you didn't pull out of it because uh, I have family there, so it's like, you know, it's not for me to tell artists to go or not to go, but. I think when they pull out of it, they're being pussies. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad you didn't pull out. Talking to a bunch of friends that I have there, I mean, it's it's like it's it's clear to me that this is a this is a very complicated and tumultuous scenario. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that there is um, some 
really heavy things going on there on both sides. But it was certainly not um, something that I came into and 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 uh, didn't learn from. And I think that uh, there's a lot of artists and people in general that could use with being educated on a lot of things. I mean, you look at the state of American politics, too, and the amount that I remember being on tour as a Canadian band and having American crew, and just the amount of dissension politically between certain members of the touring party, all of which are, you know, intelligent and, uh, and like, um, you know, decent overall uh, people and friends. And I, I'm just, I, I couldn't help but think like, man, everybody's working from their own bias. They're working from their own like upbringing and their own points of view and their own um, what has hurt them in the past and, you know, what they've heard from their friends and what they, other people have heard from their friends. And it just seems like it's so complex that um, what ultimately ends up happening is just a lack of dialogue. Like, no one's listening. Everybody's yelling at each other about <laughs> these yep. facts that they think they're, um, they're, uh, they're in the know of, clearly, because they heard it from this website or this person they know that's politically astute or their pastor or something. I'm just like, oh, my God, dude. I don't know. That is actually one of the things that turns me off to the whole thing, whether it's about politics or veganism or whatever. And, you know, I'm... I will never say where I stand on any of that. On like I've decided that I will never ever go there in public uh, on any of these issues. I just won't. Um, but one thing that I will go there about is how stupid people are um, and how destructive they are by just yelling at each other and not listening to each other. There are so many times that I have changed my mind. Because I talked to somebody rational and sane and friendly who had different opinions than me, who I asked questions of, the questions were coming from genuine curiosity because I didn't agree with them. I wanted to know how this person that I know, who's obviously intelligent, who I respect, who does great work, he's always been cool, like, how does he have this viewpoint that doesn't make any sense to me? Like, how can he think this way? Totally. Like, I, I, I'm not going to attack him over it because why would I attack him? I want to know why he thinks this way. Because if this person I respect thinks this way, maybe there's something to it. And absolutely. Sometimes I disagree, but I've definitely had uh, times where people I respect have changed my mind on something that I thought I was very, very. Uh, very set on and vice versa. Some of those people that I'm talking about right now that have changed my mind, I've changed their minds about certain things because we talked like grown-ups who respect each other uh, coming from a place of curiosity, really. Uh, and I, from I those agree. experiences, I, it makes me look at this current climate and say, you guys are being really dumb and making this worse by not just talking. Yeah, I would say... Less so than stupidity. I think a lot of it just comes from fear. I think a lot of people... Fair enough. You know, most of us are just... Our concerns are about our immediate um, well-being, you know, and that of our family and that of our friends. And, and when I say bias, going back to, um, you know, a few minutes ago, I think a lot of what we connect to in terms of our bias are things that were of emotional significance when we were young, like... You know, like Christmas or or whatever your 
you know, you had a birthday and, you know, that uncle that made you laugh and, you know, all this sort of stuff that, that I think plays into our formative years. Also, we hold on to like, like tooth and dagger when we get older, maybe subconsciously we're like, you know, well, clearly I'm this way politically and when pressed, it, it may go back to something like that and, and the fear of that being taken away, like in such a chaotic world, in such a chaotic environment, that one glowing moment of joy that is intrinsically tied to an ideology, having that taken away is, is you know, you'll fight that to the death a lot of the times, right? So, I actually think that what you're talking about is a like a uh, an emotional cousin or... Uh a parallel to what we were talking about earlier about the way that when you're an artist and it's time to move on to something new, it can be really, really tough because you, uh, <laughs> you know, you have to realize that your identity is not what it used to be and you're not the same person. Well, I think that the same is true for ideas, whether political or lifestyle or religious or whatever. It, you know, if you have associated yourself emotionally and identity-wise with an idea for long enough, uh, changing that means in some way changing yourself, changing your idea of who you are. And that's tough. As we know, that's tough. And when it's also tough for the audience, too, if they uh, have been utilizing the music as an extension of them trying to either find their identity or just their identity full stop. I mean, my entire career arc has been... Um, littered with crazy fucking interviews man like i remember years ago i was like oh, i was gonna do a bunch of acid and then i'll do interviews <laughs> you know what i mean and then but that was all i, I want to see those oh my god and then all of a sudden it's like well you're the mad scientist i'm like oh shit and then it's like uh you know for a while because i'll be you know up front in, <laughs> in the most blunt way that I've been scrambling to try and find my identity throughout all this. So for a while there, I'd be like, I'm the hateful guy. Now I'm the positive thinking guy. Now I'm the vegan guy. Now I'm, you know what I mean? And I cycle through these identities publicly because of course, just my nature, considering how intrinsically it's tied to the music. When I do interviews, and as you know, every album cycle is hundreds of interviews. And the one sheet or whatever, they're like, okay, well, tell me about how this record came together. I was like, okay, well, I went through this experience and that has led me to this. And the conclusions that I drew from it are X. And as a result of that, the records become almost like an essay. It's like you're going through a curriculum at school and what did I learn at summer camp? Here's the album, right? And each one of those albums I mean, I've experimented with trying to use a metaphor for that growth to try and make it less precious, like make it less um, pretentious on that level because I'm aware of how uh, narcissistic it comes across. So I would, you know, make it into a puppet or a, some sort of a story or, or something. But every time you do an album cycle, you have to explain and rationalize yourself. And so that has resulted for me in just years and years of just... <laughs> You know, like um, uh, sometimes batshit crazy moments and also things that are seemingly hypocritical when the next record comes. Like I remember when I did Strapping, I didn't realize at the time that what I was trying to work through at that point was a fear of confrontation. And, um, you know, I was so, we were, as children, we were so um, um, encouraged 
I think, to not display overt displays of emotion, that anger as almost like the, 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 the big daddy of all those emotions was not um, tolerated, like overt displays of anger. So when I became a teenager and, and all those things that happened to us as teenagers started to happen to me, I didn't know how to deal with anger. So anytime I saw anger, anytime I saw people being sadistic to each other or cruel or, or things like this, I, I had nothing in a reaction to it other than uh, fear. And um, so with strapping, I thought, okay, well, if I'm just angrier than everybody, then it'll keep it all at bay. And I won't have to confront anybody because in my estimation, knowing how I react to anger, if somebody's angry, I just stay away from them. But, you know, what I learned through that was... I think in hindsight, just you drew it to yourself, like you're really angry, and then all of a sudden you're just surrounded by really angry people, <laughs> you know? And so, lesson learned, all of a sudden I start seeing this becoming popular, and I'm like, oh shit, I'm not qualified to, to like, um, exist in this framework without really, really changing my objectives now that I recognize what the hell's going on. So... DTP ended up becoming the, almost like a reaction to that. I'm like, okay, well, now I'm going to relegate any creative compulsion that is dark or angry to that of something that is fundamentally bad. And then by the end of DTP, all of a sudden, it became this like positive thinking, all this sort of stuff. And I started thinking, well, I'm not qualified for this either because a lot of times I'm just in a really shitty mood or I'm like really depressed or or what have you, but I didn't realize until I got deep into both those projects how much people are willing to buy both of those ideologies. If you can rationalize just unfettered hostility and make a logo out of it, then people are like, oh, okay, well, that's okay then, clearly, because it makes money. There's something about anger, man. There's something about that type of energy that just is sticky with people. And you find that online, too. Uh, people, like, there's a lot of stats, and it, I mean, it's pretty much fact that the two things, if you want to put out sticky content, either you make porn, uh, but if you're not going to make porn, do something angry. If you really, really want it to spread, do something that either has somebody angry on it or makes everybody else angry. That goes a lot further than comedy. It goes further than anything other than porn, but obviously... Why do you think? I think that it comes back to uh, exactly what you were saying. It's an emotion that we are, at least in... In Western culture, I don't know how other ones are about it because I've never been in another, you know, I, this is what I come from. I know that expressing anger is uh, is looked down upon and there's a lot of things in our lives that will make us angry. And so I think that I do, I think that people are, I don't know, they're just resonating with it because they don't have an outlet for it. And uh, it's the same thing hmm. that draws people to hmm. metal, but... It's it's a lot more universal than just your musical tastes. It's something that resonates with people who don't just necessarily like metal. Even if you don't like metal, you still get angry. Uh, the things in your life still fuck with you. Uh, people still piss you off. And whether you're a metal fan or not a metal fan, uh, expressing that anger is something that society teaches you to be very careful with. And I understand you should be careful with that. It can be very destructive. Well, it's interesting as well because I think um, 
only recently um, have I uh, started to to question um, anger as not being a fundamentally destructive act as much as just a part of the human experience that can be demonstrated in a number of ways. Like, for example, sarcasm is a is a is a way that anger can reveal itself. Specifically, if you're if you're in an environment that doesn't uh, allow those emotions to just be voiced immediately. If somebody's pissed off as opposed to saying, hey man, this is rubbing me the wrong way. Let's get through it. It's culturally almost in some way, maybe, more appropriate for people to be like, oh, Mr. Blah, blah, blah over there. You know what I mean? And sort of make it a sarcastic way of, of getting your point across. And, and I think in another way, but in a much healthier way, like um, assertion can be the same energy that anger comes from. And therefore, I think you can make uh, metal that is hyper-aggressive, but without necessarily having that same, like, toxicity to it, which, although, you know, every now and then I love it. I love listening to things that are just, you know, blacker than black in terms of its emotional intent on some level, I guess. Sometimes you just got to go there. You do. But I think you also... uh you know, I think you're. I think it's good to go there as long as you recognize what it is that it can, you know, uh, do. Like the cause and effect of it is is tangible, right? Well, it's a very powerful thing. So I think that you're right that um, it's very. You can express it in non-destructive ways. You can use it even in productive ways. Like I agree, being assertive or using it for motivation, but also left unchecked, you can do really, really bad things with it. And so I think that. In society, you're taught to err on the side of caution with it. Um, I think that's what it comes from. Yeah, I agree. I think, but we could also extend that to empathy in a way. I think that, um, um, you know, the more I've been investigating that concept, and I'm, I think I'm less deep into that, but I think that uh, being present for people and being empathetic to other people uh, is a very important trait and something that is clearly. Uh, not uh, uh, particularly encouraged right now. However, I also think that left unchecked, it can be very detrimental to your own personal growth because you absolutely you end up being uh, left uh, blown open to people that don't deserve your energy, and it's a fine line. And maybe that's where the assertion comes in. You know, it's like to be empathetic. I think is is an admirable trait. But to let that go unchecked, you kind of go into this martyr zone that I don't think serves anybody, right? As an artist, you know, and I'm speaking specifically to what you do, or, and I'm also thinking about it through my own frame, uh, there's some degree of it that requires you to be selfish, right? Because mm-hmm. you have, like, kind of have to... A huge so, degree. Yeah, you kind of have to stick to your own voice and staying true to that. And if you go, you know, back to earlier in the conversation again, the whole thing about people not understanding a change that you're going through and wanting you to stay a certain way because they connect with that earlier thing you did. Well, if you were totally empathetic to that and uh, took on this martyr syndrome that you're talking about, exactly, you would never evolve as an artist and 
never even have the chance to give people something great and new to uh, connect with. Exactly, dude. In the future, so it's it's a double point. it's a double sided to a sword or whatever that phrase is. No, no, no. I get it, and I think a lot of times we're we're taught as artists that like. Um, on some level, by making art, well, maybe we're not taught it, but there's this this um, we're sort of sold this idea that it's an altruistic thing, you know, and being an artist and being a pure artist. But I think that's bullshit too. I think that I think that if you monetize your work, then your objectives are clearly not altruistic. And I think that um, I find the same thing about religion or, or anything. Right? It's like as soon as you're making a buck off of it you've got not only um, an obligation to uh, your audience if you've been uh, lucky enough to garner one for the sake of like the quality that they deserve. And when I say obligation, I mean only in that if you if you keep making things of lesser and lesser quality, eventually you're just not going to have an audience, right? Like So, so there's that obligation, quote unquote. But I think there's also, like you say uh, astutely, man, it's like you have to, be able to know where your lines are, and I, if if you're the type of character that uh, that has had problems with boundaries, um, if you don't learn that, even if regrettably it, it happens publicly, eventually it's you're not going to be of any use, not only to your audience but to yourself and your family and everybody else. Man, it's it's all a gray area. Hey, everybody! If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you remember, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multitracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Opeth, Meshuggah, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song of the album and takes your questions live on the air. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics. And Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multi-tracks cleared for use in your portfolio, so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those who really, really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhanced, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, loan, and so forth. It's over 50 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-one -on -one office hours, sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes on a live video stream, fix it up, and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. If any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills and your audio career, head over to urm.academy slash enhanced to find out more. It is a gray area, but I think that one thing that I really do believe is that art uh, and music play a an intangible but very important role for society as a whole. I, I really do believe that. And it's yeah, important yeah, for the continuation of 
music and art that artists remain selfish. But that's it's this weird it's this weird dichotomy because at the same time, the hmm. <laughs> it's for everybody else, but it's for you. I guess at the inception of it. Well, it's a balancing act, and yes, I do agree. And it's only been recently, strangely enough, that I have come to the conclusion that I as well think that that music is a very important thing for society. For a while there, I thought it was I thought it was just a, super, a superfluous thing. But same here. <laughs> but I also think that coming to that conclusion, it also brings about this sort of internal sense of like accountability with it. And that is that fine line that we're speaking of as well, because yes, we need to be selfish, but if you're selfish to the point of, of you know, like cutting off your own ear and shitting in a bucket and painting on the wall or whatever <laughs> your, you know, the thing that you end up doing is, I think that you lose the connection with other people because ultimately what I think drives people to music is something they can relate to. It's like... It's a moment of emotional significance that an artist has that is beyond them, that then they're able to, uh, through their bias, interpret in a way that other people recognize truth in. And the truth that the people see is something that they can relate to. And if you're selfish to the point where you're unrelatable, then, you know, it's like, it's, it's also... Uh, a trap, I think. So, but is that just luck of the draw in some ways? Uh, that if uh, yeah, your voice, for sure, you know, if your voice is a voice that resonates with lots of people, totally. If you're being true to yourself, then it that is kind of luck of the draw. Totally, your true voice might be one that has no connection to anybody else. Unfortunately, no. This is this is a really good point, and and but I guess ultimately, that's where the monetization uh, becomes the crux of this. I think that if your objectives are to make a living through music, you have to have a compromise. If your objectives are not to do that, then I think at that point you're 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 free to to go in whichever direction you want. But uh, you know, both you and I on some degree rely on what it is that we do to feed our families, right? And um and uh I think that being selfish to the point of obliviousness to how your your work affects others, uh, if you monetize it, then you then you're really rolling the dice, man. Because if you make a ton of money saying fuck everything, then I think there's like a cause and effect to that. I don't. I'm not talking about karma. I'm just talking about a cause and effect, right? Like, so it is luck of the draw if you are. You know, someone like you know singer from Nickelback, who is being himself, and that has resonated with a lot of people. That's luck of the draw. I mean, if if your objectives are money, I mean that's that's very fortunate, right? But I don't know, man. I'm glad you brought him up. I wanted to talk to you about him, but uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, it's it's. I think what I would say as a caveat to everything I say is I am so lost, man. But uh, <laughs> happily so, aren't we all? Yep. I actually went to watch a Joe Rogan live in his last comedy tour, and at the very, very end, he said something about a. Uh, he thanked the crowd and said something to the effect of, "This whole life is just a dream, and it's fucking crazy. I get to do this because I have no idea where it's going." And I really, <laughs> really related to that because. Uh, no, yeah, I like him, uh, man. I like him a lot. Yeah, me, me too. I actually. Um, think that uh, what he's done 
is really, really significant. And we're going to see, we're going to understand just how significant it is in the next 20 or 30 years. But I really think that because of his podcast, intellectualism is now cool. If I think back to when I was a teenager, it was cool to make yourself seem dumb. It's weird. It was not cool to be into things that made you think. Uh, Only the weird kids were into that stuff. But now through podcasting becoming so huge, and a lot of that is as a result of his podcast. He was one of the first. He's the biggest. He's the guy that started bringing all these intellectuals, scientists, and along with the movie stars and the rock stars and the famous fighters. He was the one who started mixing those people in there and helping all these intellectuals go to mass market. And I think that kids growing up now have access to this uh, in a way that we never did, and it wasn't even cool when we were growing up. It was actually, if you were into that stuff, it was looked down upon. So I actually think that what he's doing is really, really significant to the uh, evolution of society. And anyone who thinks that what I'm saying is funny, just wait 20 years. I'm convinced. No, I agree with you. I agree with you, man. And I think the thing that makes it so engaging for people is he asks questions from the point of view of somebody who doesn't know. So he's able to not only communicate with these people who are, you know, vastly uh, superior thinkers to most of us, right? But he's also able to understand it enough to ask the questions that when he's asking them, I think to myself, oh yeah, that's something that I would have wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's not, it's not in a language that is so obtuse that I'm just lost. He's like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Can you explain that further? Still doesn't make any sense to me. Can you explain it further? And then as a result of that, these uh, concepts that are typically sort of out of reach for most of us, are made uh, palatable, and and there's been a bunch of times where you know I'll be cleaning up the studio, or just, and I just put on his channel, and let it roll, and out of the out of my peripheral, uh, I'm all of a sudden privy to something that I would have never have sought out, right? Absolutely, I think you're absolutely right, man, and I I think it's funny as well how you know I think he more than anybody is surprised by its success. Yeah, that's and that's also back to the you know if what you are doing happens to be the thing that resonates with everybody that's that part is uh, luck of the draw the part that's not luck of the draw is doing over a thousand episodes and grinding like crazy you know it's funny one of the criticisms that i've seen about him is a lot of people will say that he's you know stupid which i think is really really not the case but they say that you know that he's not as smart as his guests or something but i actually kind of think that's the point. Um, and I think that until you've talked to a super genius, you don't know how dumb you really are. And <laughs> the ability to get one of these super geniuses to communicate in a way that makes sense to normal people uh, at the middle of the bell curve, that is unbelievable. Because these people that are at the very, very top of the bell curve, they don't <laughs> talk like normal people. They don't think like normal people, and they're usually in their own little worlds, you know, discovering stars and inventing rockets and stuff. It's not, <laughs> you know, they're not they're not like the no. rest of us. And the ability to bring their information down to earth is it's a big thing. I think. Well, 
You know what's interesting? I as we're talking about this, I and and you're saying if your particular, um, I forget how you phrased it, but your particular way of uh, interpreting your artistic motivations resonates with a lot of people, then then that's luck of the draw. But also conversely, what happens if someone's trip resonates with a lot of people and they're not qualified to handle that. You look at Kurt Cobain or any of these people, right? And they're all of a sudden in the crossfire of this. And and at that point, I think inadvertently, they become a martyr for it. That's bad luck of the draw, I guess. I guess, right? That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you see that. And I mean, um, I think on on some level, as I get older, you know, I just hit 47 the other day, which is, Happy which is great. Because Thanks, man. So I'm almost over the hill, which is great because it, it makes it much easier to to let it go. I think I was aware throughout my career that if it had ever gotten really successful, I just didn't have the mental fortitude to handle it. Like if strapping had taken that next step or if, even if DTP had gone to the next step, being what it was without me having gone through the... Uh, lessons that I think I needed to learn from from either of those things, I think I, I, I would have just been a total uh, casualty of it. So, you know, fortunately, it it didn't take that step. And maybe there's a certain amount of sabotage that went into that on my front as well. But, um, you know, God, I would have hated that, man. You know, I've only experienced a very, very small percentage of what it's like to take the, you know, that step. Yeah. It's a very intense thing uh, to be take to be in a position where you are taking in so many people's energy all the time Dude, expectations holy and, shit yeah it's it's like being bombarded with and again back to what we've been saying the people expect something of you when you're out there as an artist you know your audience has expectations society has an expectation out of you and look I do think that it's great like People shouldn't complain if they have the chance to do their art for a living. However, that's sure. not to say that there's not insane challenges with it. And one of the challenges <laughs> of being successful is that you are it's like you are under constant bombardment of other oh, people's dude. you know, it's like you're getting drawn and quartered by their desires. Let's as we go add that to the list of things that you're not allowed to complain about as an artist. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but um, I, you know, I've been a I've been a broken record about it, but only because it really um, it really affected me in a way that that I have a hard time not talking about. And you know, and that's a singer from Nickelback who I became acquaintances with on this last run and and had the opportunity to spend a bunch of time with. You know what I mean? At his place and and whatever. And I mean, we're acquaintances. It's not like we call each other up and it's you know. He's a good guy, and he let me in, and he helped me out with a couple of things, and and uh, that's kind of where the relationship started and ended in a lot of ways. But um, but the thing that really floored me was completely separate from that. The thing that really floored me was being in the presence of of somebody's life who the luck of the draw favored. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I recognized through that I'm like I couldn't do this. I can't do this. The level in which this type of existence functions at is uh, at a point where is completely 
not unhealthy is the is doesn't even scratch the surface <laughs> of what it would be for me. He seems very put together. I don't know him, but he seems like a pretty put together dude, at least on the surface. Mm-hmm. Considering yeah. the considering not just the level of success, but the level of hate he's had to endure. Right. I mean, I think the thing that I took from him is he's an alpha. And that's something that I think is also a prerequisite for that. Like, um, I often, when I go to a place or if I go to a party or if I go to a, a ceremony or something, I just don't want to be seen. Like, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go to the guy's, I, my friend's band's coming to town. I'll come see them before the show. I don't want to go to the show. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to be up past 10 o'clock at night if there's, you know, you know, if you're going to have a couple of beers, I'd be out by 11. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's where I'm at. It's the intensity of just being at a gig <laughs> is too much for me, Same right? Here. So, right. So my job has required a lot of self-analysis you know right now i'm on this you know just like this next step of where it's at but it's required a lot of self-analysis not because i like to think at least not because i'm just an irretrievable narcissist but just i got a family i've got responsibilities i've got a business and in order for that to not fall by the wayside i got to keep my shit together man and it's like the inability to tune out energy is one of the primary things that's going to keep my shit from being together. So when I meet someone like that, and I've met a lot of people like that, that are like, you know, the alphas in the industry, the ones that are at the show, they're every night, they're at the show. They're the, as soon as they come in the room, you know they're there. You know, they're the ones that, you know, skeet shooting off the balcony at four in the morning, like all this sort of stuff. It's like... Corey Taylor's I don't think like that. that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So is uh, Chris Jericho. You know, it's like, and it's like these people who are all stars are like, that's why they're able to be that. I mean, I've never met Corey. I've never met the guy, right? But it's like, here's a guy from what I can tell is like a massive success, is into the spotlight and has got no problems at all with being public. I've met him three times and the three times that I met him, it was like, okay. I mean, I always liked his bands anyways, but... Uh, that aside, when I met him and hung out with him those three different times, years apart, I'm sure he doesn't remember, but it was like, okay, I understand why this guy is where he's at. Exactly what happened with me and Chad. <laughs> oh, that that is pretty funny. But uh, his energy is just, it takes over the room, and he loves it. Obviously, yeah. He like he embodies it. It's it is it is what he is. How does that even work? It's a special type. I can't even. Well, see, that's it. It's a special type. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's like anybody that we've met that is like that seem to be cut from a similar cloth. Where not only do they are they okay with it, but they they like they are it. flourish and they are it exactly, man. And and then I started thinking in accordance to that situation which just on a just on a, a selfish level i'm thinking well the amount of times where i've thought maybe i should write a commercial record because that's how you become popular like that that's not how you do it you have to be it's one of those not how people. you do it you got to be one of those people yeah exactly i had no idea dude like i had no idea i always had assumed up to that meeting naively that it was a choice Mm-mm. and then what yeah dude when i when i was just like holy shit this isn't a choice this is that's who this guy is. That's who 
the singer from any of these massive bands, I'm sure. Like, I remember seeing, I talked to somebody who, uh, who was in a room with Bruce Dickinson and said he's the same way. He's like... Of course he is. Dude. But I had no idea. Like, I always was under the assumption, maybe selfishly, that all artistic temperament was basically cut from that same sort of, you know, self-analytical cloth, right? And then to be aware of it, it's like, well, that's why these people are, are like massive stars because you give them a stage and they're clamoring to get on it to tell jokes. Whereas maybe you and I are like, holy fuck, where's the exit, man? I can't <laughs> wait to get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, the outliers are like the, the Kurt Cobain example where... You know, that, that, in my opinion, is just kind of a fluke where the timing totally. of his whole thing happened it perfectly. It just, yeah. right time, right place in history, uh, yeah. wrong person for it, and that's, you know, the end result is tragic. But I think that that's the, an outlier situation. I think that there, there's a mold for a star, and it's the same with movie stars, it's the same with star politicians, it's rock stars, There's, they are a certain type of person. Anyone who doesn't believe that hasn't spent enough time around these types of people. They are as true to that as you know you are to what you do. See, this is exactly my point that I was trying to make in terms of the interviews that I was sort of struggling with when, when I've been talking about Chad. What you just said was what I was trying to express. And for whatever reason... That was an epiphany for me. I, I had no. I mean, it seems hilarious in hindsight. Even talking to you about about this, it's like it seems hilarious that that is like was such a shocker. But dude, I had no idea. I was like, dude, you were you are just being you. That is all this is. But you are permanently on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, when you meet somebody who's running at eleven constantly. Yeah, you know, I'll have a night of nine and be done for a week and a half, you know? And uh, I think, yeah, man, it's even just talking about it now, I, I, I have more thoughts and insights on it and just how obvious this is, right? I've heard that uh, that uh, that speaker, Gary V is like that as well. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but a lot of... I'm not. Well, he's an investor, entrepreneur who runs this huge marketing firm, but also became a public speaker because of a TED Talk that just went viral because uh, he just, he's pretty funny um, in the way he delivers things. But I know people who have been around him were just like, that is, it's not an act. Like that guy is on 11 all day. You don't, uh, it's like being next to a nuclear generator, basically. Yes, dude. And it's like, I think most people see this and see these people's lives and like the yachts and the planes and all that. And people just want this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They're just like... Um, but what I realized in my associations with, with anybody who seems to be along that line or wealthy in, in that way is it's like that's the that's what comes with that personality. It's the byproduct. It is. I don't think you can rue the fact that that's not part of your life. I think you've just got to accept that in order for you to be happy, you just don't get that stuff. And if you had it, the cost of what it would... Um, you know, entail for you to get it would be something you wouldn't be able to handle. So therefore, you wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So it's an abstraction. You know, it's like uh, it was after that um, experience in a way where I started thinking, 
oh, I've got too much stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't need half of what I have. Like, I don't need a bigger car. I don't need a better car. I don't need more guitars, God forbid. You know what I mean? It's like, I just, I, I want to be able to maintain what I have. And it made me strangely happier with what I had to see somebody with so much more because I realized, like, just like you said, man, like, that's what the byproduct of that is. And if that's not what you are, man, like, don't stress about it. There's a truth uh, to the idea that money will not make you happy. But it's more, I mean, there's a point where not having it will make you unhappy. But when you're talking about those levels of wealth and success and, I guess, stuff, having stuff, yeah, that's not going to make your life better or worse. It's just going to reflect what who you are really and what you've done in the world but it's not you know chad isn't who he is because of that stuff nope that stuff like what car he has is not the reason that he is at 11 all the time the reason totally. the car he has the car because he's at 11 all the <laughs> exactly, time he does he's not exactly. at 11 all the time to get the car yeah no, it, it, dude, exactly. And it seemed like such an obvious thing in hindsight, but but it just it just blew me away, man. Well, it's the same way that man. I'm sure you know this, but like you know, having we've all seen when bands have tried to do the commercial record, like you were talking about, or local bands who aren't that good who try to do like they go to the studio that's way too expensive. They hire this person to work with them. They try to get that management firm that has handled this and this and that person, and they check off all the boxes, but it just right. doesn't work, and it will never right. work because they don't have that thing, and that thing right. is not something that you can develop. It's just there. You can develop exactly. your skills. You can develop uh, your exactly. your strategy. You can develop your product. You can develop all these different things, but you can't develop who you are born as. No, exactly, dude. And I think that, you know, it's that whole real recognize real thing. I think a lot of times the people who are in the industry that are looking for that, it's clear as day from a very early time who their sites are going to be on that are able to like not only be that character who's on 11, but also be astute enough to know how to manage that so it doesn't self-destruct. You know, like how do you funnel that 11 into just multiple businesses and multiple um, excursions and into different, you know, uh, musical or artistic paths? And, and I think for the rest of us, I, I think a lot of it, what it leads us doing is just going, well, what's wrong with me? Like how come what I do uh, doesn't result in that? And I, I think it was only recently where I came to the conclusion, I was like, are you kidding me, dude? You think you can handle that? Because you can't. That's not it's not what you're cut out to do, man. Like And there's nothing wrong with you if you're not that person. In fact, uh there's much more right with you upon recognition of that. Because you know, focusing on the things that you aren't as opposed to the things that you are is is going to compromise your art ultimately. Absolutely. And if you are true to your art and yourself and follow that, uh, I really, I firmly believe that you don't need that level of success to be happy. Like you said, if you achieve that level of success and you're not cut out for it, it's going to destroy you, much the way that Absolutely. lottery winners uh, typically <laughs> destroy themselves. 
Absolutely, dude. That's actually a great analogy. Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you about Chad actually was, you know, I saw I saw that you had worked with him, and one thing that's kind of funny is, first of all, I never got on the Nickelback hate bandwagon. Like, I don't hate bands. Like, I, I just don't. I just don't listen to them. I don't like them. But uh, I've, uh, you know, I've always respected their ability to do what they do. Um, even if it's not my thing, they do what they do, obviously, in a way that works, like, beyond works. But the one thing about them that you cannot argue about is that their productions sound incredible. They have had... Oh, dude. Their mixes have been just... Oh, my God. ...groundbreakingly incredible. Totally. And so running a production school, you know, we we always reference those mixes we always talk about those mixes as like you know that Same. that's the pinnacle of rock or hard rock or like commercial metal mixing i mean that is no, it just doesn't get better than their mixes and so like i've i've always had a a funny i guess a i've i've gotten some hate for it uh from certain people it's like you, you just don't get it like their product is incredible. Oh yeah, like, totally. And just on a technical mixing level, it's like, oh dude, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's insanely good. Well, the 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 Dark Horse album. So, uh, like, it was all done in Vancouver, and a bunch of my friends uh, worked on it. Like, uh, buddy of mine Scott, who had worked, we had worked together for years, but he ended up um, getting a good name for himself, and he like uh, co-engineered that whole album, right, and went through the whole process with him and Mutt Lang and everything that was involved with it, but. Um, yeah, man, it's 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 the benchmark in a lot of ways. But also, and this is something that uh, I've had to come to terms with in the same way. Um, you know, those work, those mixes work because the music is written around that too. Absolutely. You know, it's like that tempo where the snare can ring out and where the low end can bloom and not get in the way of you know, and the guitar, bass, and drums, and but it's small in the pre-chorus and it's big in the chorus. And you know, who else I think is is good at that? And this is as a bit of a sideline, but uh, I like. Um, not the recent one, but the one before that Five Finger Death Punch did. The uh, with I think it was Corey, no Kevin Churko that did that. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely Kevin. It was really uh, it's it's like it's not it's not as big in the low end, but it's it's still a really good commercial rock mix, man. Oh, the the Churkos, uh, I'm actually good friends with them, and uh, uh, Kane, his son, has been on Nail the Mix several times and had. Kevin on the podcast, and they both came to uh, the URM Summit, which is our in-person event. We we know them, and I think that they're they're one of those families that's just like something was in the water <laughs> in their house. <laughs> yeah, totally. like there is, but they have like a very specific Cherco radio sound. It just they do the yeah. shit they do sounds great on the radio it's just it really does man i don't know what it is but maybe kevin coming up through mutt lang has something to do with it i'm sure that's i'm sure that has something to do with it but they uh they just get it and five finger it's a similar thing with me as nickelback it's not you know that's not what i'm going to go listen to uh if i feel like listening to music that's going to speak to me however that is insanely well done for what it is. And you know how sometimes you'll get these metal guys that are like, I don't like it, but I respect it, kind of like the politically correct thing to say. That's not how I mean <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, it's beyond that. It's not just respect. I, I admire. Oh, yeah. When, so when something is that well done, uh, I have 
admiration for it. Um, and I actually think that uh, the Zoltan, the guitar player, who's kind of the brains behind that band, is one of those on 11 people. But he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And so I know that everything about that music is designed to sound amazing. And so, yes, Kevin Churko is part of that equation too. Obviously, his mixes are great. But from inception, everything about that product, and call it a product, is yeah, yeah. designed to hit your speakers and hit the audience in a certain way. That There's no accident. Just like I know that with Nickelback, there's no accident. No, They are just being themselves, but there's no accident there. A lot of time people view that that lack of accident as being like um, premeditated in a way that seems disingenuous, but I, I no way. I'm, I'm guilty of feeling that. But no, I, I, I now, I absolutely agree with you, man. It's like, and I just actually met uh, Zoltan online the other day. Like, um, it's the first time we talked uh, to each other. And I, I told him, and I mean, it's like, it's, one of, it's another one of those bands where you, you, you say that you like them and people get all you know, sort of uh, elitist about it. But at 47, man, I mean, when I'm on tour, I have to exercise. Like, I have to. It's like, as a singer, I have to exercise. And it's not that I'm ever going to be ripped, but I mean, dude, I it's like it's so easy for me to get out of shape that I have to exercise. And when I do, uh, I really like listening to that band. I think it sounds great, man. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's something that I enjoy listening to while I'm exercising. And uh, told him such. And uh, and I think uh, I'm not the only one that feels that way, clearly. No, definitely not. Uh, you know, another another time that I realized this recently was, so we just had Fall Out Boy on Nail the Mix. And I've actually kind of always liked them because I've always thought that, and I'm not a huge pop punk fan or anything, but I've always thought that there's something really great about their melodies. And their uh, singer agreed to do the podcast, and I actually flew to L.A. for it. And uh, we talked for like two hours, and it was one of those situations. It's actually a great episode. Uh, the whole concept of this is not an accident was so clear to me again. But that guy is 100% a musician, 100% a composer. He just loves what he's doing. And what is really, really smart about that band is that the singer realized that he's not that guy that's on 11. The bass player is. So they pushed the bass player as the star, <laughs> and it <laughs> really? worked. Yeah, it's it's so smart. He's just He's the guy, the singer is the guy who just wants to write all day, every day, just write music, and he's great at it. We talked about orchestration and all kinds of stuff that you would never think that the guy from Fall Out Boy was into, but he's into it. And uh, they figured out that the star was the bass player, and so they just had him be the front man, which is a non-traditional way of going about it, but they recognized this thing that is so true that getting to that level of success requires a personality that is a certain way. And if you're not that way, it's not going to work. But there's no rule that says it has to be the singer. That's, that's what they showed the world, I think. Interesting, and as devil's advocate, I'll throw this out. I think what could... Unless you're very careful in a scenario like that, it can be misrepresented by that alpha person's uh, agenda. You know, like if artistically, say there's there's someone like you or I who just write, and that's what our agenda is, but we're not particularly fan of, of being in the spotlight or don't want to be on 11 all the time or can do it but need to recover or whatever our scenario is. But then you elect somebody else to be that, 
at some point, I know I would resent it. I would resent that the face of it becomes um, something that is disconnected from what the source of it is. Maybe in their situation, it's it's different because it's um, you know it's more of a commercial slant to begin with. Well, I actually think it's the bass player who selected him to do it. I think the bass player re- recognized that he didn't have the uh, the talent, I guess, as a writer, singer, whatever, to to do that. Uh, but he had the vision, so he selected a guy. Like they selected a guy who could lead them musically, um, and it happened to be a guy who has less than zero interest in the spotlight. And I totally do agree with you that it could lead to resentment, but I think that in this case, it clearly doesn't. It was really clear to me that it doesn't from when I talked to him. I wonder if the the, the clown cat Sean from uh, from Slipknot is is similar. Do you know? I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. Because it seems like you know uh, he's got a vision for what the band has done, and 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 uh, I don't know, man. This whole conversation is interesting to me, just because it uh, it makes me uh, even more aware of 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 what as artists we should be focused on. And I think that knowing your limitations is something that is not encouraged enough. I think society, specifically Western society, sort of teaches us that we can do anything. We can be anything, and and if you're not, if you don't end up being a billionaire or whatever, that's your own failing, as opposed to you know maybe you're just not cut out for that. And I think that conversely, I think if we were as artists taught more to like really understand what it is that is going to make us happy fundamentally, and then pursue that artistically, I think it would be better just for the scene in general because you wouldn't have people, like you say, your friend's band trying to get the right producer and the right manager and, and then ultimately end up scratching their heads as to why they're they're broke and angry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Totally. Well, I think that the, the lesson is that if you do want to monetize it and you do want to get to that level, the, I think the lesson is that if you are not the star type, then... The sooner you realize that is the sooner that you can go finding that person to work with. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> I think that Sean from Slipknot, uh, he had to have realized that because Corey is, he, Corey is the definition of a natural rock star. Mm. But obviously, Sean's the dude who's had that vision artistically for what the band would do, clearly. I mean, mm. they, don't, they don't hide it. Uh, and he's always been very forward about it. Uh, and he has had no problem just being the clown guy who hits things. Like he's got no issue with that because I think he it's his vision. But if he tried to be the front man, I just don't think that it would have worked. Well, that takes. I think that that awareness of your limitations that that's a perfect example of what I was just uh, actually even in alluding to is him saying, "Listen, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with putting that part of me aside. My need for that aside." So it can be overall a success. I mean, that's not only is that commendable, but I think that's very rare. So you know, it's I'm reading a book right now uh, called "21 Lessons for the 21st Century," and uh, the author's name is Yuval Yuval Noah Harari, I think it was. And uh, he's talking basically it's it's talking about how artificial intelligence and in some ways how that will change uh, society and and. And it, it sort of looks, I think, in general at why liberalism is suffer, is suffering right now. And one of his 
points that I thought was really interesting because I talked to somebody else who had read it was he said, you know, eventually algorithms will be able to determine uh, what is going to be good for you emotionally. You know, this is his this is his theory, right? Or this is his hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe there's algorithms that will determine based on your genetic history um, that although you want to be a rock star, maybe you would actually be really happy being a plumber. And this is the ways in which this uh, algorithm can actually help society is as opposed to people following these goals and then ending up in these really destructive and negative and unfulfilled lifestyles. They can do something which on the surface seems much more mundane, yet ultimately they get a quality of life that is much higher. And and I think it's it's framed almost in a sense like this is one of the uh, the downfalls of like one of the the threats. I think it's a benefit. I think so too. Like, that's it, kind of, I, was I talking think to that's a couple a good friends thing. of mine. Me too. Okay, so I feel like the reason URM is working is because I have expertise of having been in a band that did it. I, having done the production thing, having had gone to Berkeley, having had the dad that I've had, like my whole life led to a place where I have the expertise to start a school. However, in some ways, let's just say that I had the same level of uh, expertise 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I wish there was an algorithm that told me to not pursue the rock star thing and just Fuck yeah, try dude. to start a business. Fuck yeah, man. I mean, I... Uh I think if there's an overarching anxiety to what I do in my career is because it keeps shifting, I feel that I'm just an incredibly slow learner and that when I finally figure out what it is that I want to do, I'm just going to be in my 60s sometime just being like, oh, shit. I when should you have finally been a figure out what you want to do. Yeah, that's man. amazing. It's amazing you say that, but I totally understand. Yeah, man, and it's like I think that my anxiety a lot of times comes from the fact, and a lot of my self-deprecation as well comes from the fact that I'm aware of that. I'm like, don't tell me that you're gonna go through this song and dance again, man. You're gonna do some, you know, stupid uh, musical counterpart to some epiphany that you feel you've made that they you then end up trumpeting through interviews for the next two years about how you feel you've you finally figured it out and this is the direction you should be going. Amazing. And then all of a sudden and then a year later you're just like, oh uh oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like you're like now that I've dipped my toe into this, I realize I really don't like this. And that's what just keeps happening, you know? And uh, That's so funny. It's true, man. I and know it's, it's true. It's, <laughs> that's why I, I'm frustrating I, as I can fuck. relate. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> You're just and then whenever it happens, and I think this is going back to you know, recently I've I've taken a real step back from social media just because the amount of things that I say that have been like that, where I'm just unequivocally convinced of whatever direction it is that I feel I'm going. And then I make a big deal out of it, and then I change my mind. And then there's people that are giving you shit about it, or like Blabbermouth puts up some thing, or you've said some stupid thing, and and then you know I I, I struggle with self confidence and always have to a certain extent, and that does nothing but compound that. Where every time you turn on your computer, you're like, oh my god, I'm a fucking idiot. Like this is ridiculous, right? So. Yes. What I have found recently is by stepping back from it a bit, I see some things that I've said that come up on Blabbermouth or I see some things that I've done, like I did some shitty performance that comes up on YouTube. and But just by like not looking at the comments and not reading it and not participating in what I say, strangely enough, life just 
goes on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like things came grind to a halt like your anxiety thought they would. It's just, you know, it's just something that happened, right? Move on. Well, I think that feeling of things might come grinding to a halt. Okay, I think there's a flip side to where it's probably a good thing to feel a little bit of that um, because keeps you hungry and motivated to a degree, I think. Um, True. You know, I'm friends with Blasco, uh, plays bass for Ozzy, he's had a very successful career, and he's told me that the whole thing has felt like a house of cards the whole time, and... I mean, the guy's been in the biggest bands in the world for like 20 or 25 years now. He still feels like it's a house of cards, but he's one of the hardest workers I've ever met. And that's kind of part of what keeps him winning is that he knows it could all go away. So I think that there's a level of that to where it's healthy. But also, I think that in the music industry, we're taught to get really, really, like turn things into emergencies that aren't emergencies and to like get real dramatic about shit that doesn't matter and that isn't really going to cause things to stop. And I noticed this. This is one of the reasons I wanted to stop being in a band. It was driving me insane, that whole, totally. uh, that that anxiety that's caused by everybody freaking out about every little thing. And it's not it's not just comments. It's like it's not just comments. It's like about a bunch of different things. There's like always some like five alarm fire going on about right? something that Dude. doesn't even matter. So fucking exhausting. It's like, you know, and it's it's that house of cards thing. It's like could you imagine how that would be compounded if we had made a million dollars somewhere along the line? Or like yes, a million is 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 reasonable. Let's let's talk about. Say you've made a hundred million dollars, and you had some windfall. You had a song, you know, you had a "How You Remind Me" that made you two hundred million bucks or whatever, and you bought six houses that are ten million bucks each or something crazy. You know what I mean? The the stress of that would be so undesirable of just thinking this is all gonna go. Like maybe you broke up with your long-term relationship and you've got a bunch of, you know, 22-year-old girls that, you know, are conditional in terms of their relationship. You know, it's they're certainly not into you for your 55-year-old bod, you know what I mean? They're like <laughs> there because you are able to provide something that is like like really what their agenda is based on, maybe, right? Man, it would all go away. The, the stress of that shit going away, man, fuck that, dude. I would much rather just be like, you know what I feel like doing today? I'm going to do this artistically. And I, as long as I'm going at it from the point of view of, of this means something really important to me and, and something really tangible to me, then there's a good chance that the audience some portion of it will also relate and that's enough to pay the bills if i am am rational about how i structure my life you know that dude any day but there's still a little bit of that because the thing that could go away is that food on the table for the kids so you know there Arg. i think within reason <laughs> within reason it's good to have a little bit of that stress it keeps you going no you're right you're right but it would be nice to not have it to be fair <laughs> yeah so i guess that's where it becomes complicated because to not have that stress of the kids going away i mean the not the kids the the food on the table going away you do need that kind of money but if you have that kind of money, then you have that stress of that money going away. Good point. Good point, man. <laughs> Maybe it's just it's about managing that stress so it's not at a point where it's becoming like a total 
all-consuming liability, right? I think um, the a quote that I heard recently, which I thought great about money, is, uh, is someone said, I just want to have enough money to not have to say no to the guacamole. I always thought that was like, <laughs> you know, that makes perfect sense, right? It does. But no, you're right. And anytime, I, anytime I've had no work whatsoever, say I've, you know, there's no pressure whatsoever, um, I just get bored. And I think that I romanticize that as if I would just be totally fine being bored, but... I seriously doubt that that uh, you'd be okay with that. Yeah, man, I think you're right. I think my life up to this point, the stimulus that I've uh, uh, become accustomed to, to be frank, is such that if I just stopped, I would just, you know, I'd just start doing heroin or something. <laughs> I mean, like, do you think about retiring or anything? Like, really retiring? Like, the traditional retirement uh, idea of basically an endless vacation? Do you, like, is that a goal of yours? Well, I think if I had enough money to just constantly travel and, and treat myself well, I mean, yeah, that sounds awesome. But do you think that you would lose your mind after about two or three weeks? Well, I wouldn't stop writing. Okay. And I wouldn't stop recording. No, no, I mean retiring. Oh, no, 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 no way, no way, no way. I mean, I at two times now in my life and career, I had thought that that was an option, that music was optional for me. Um and so I just tried to stop, and it just it manifests in really terrible ways. I I have resolved to the thought that yes, I am an artist, and yes, I'm a musician, and as a result of that, it's intrinsically tied in with my trip. But I would love to be able to do that without any pressure from anybody, you know. Like that is certainly a goal. Like if I could spend. I think the biggest concern that I've had recently is it's like in order to keep food on the table, I have to be more productive than I'm comfortable with lately. So if I had enough capital to spend 10 years making something, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that, man. Love to do that. That sounds like a lot of capital. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to spend 10 years. <laughs> yeah, so therefore, I think it's like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's it's not going to happen. But I, I mean, if somebody said, "Would you like that to happen?" I would say yes, clearly. <laughs> fair enough, but but I mean, you also said that the actual traditional idea of retirement's not for you. Like, I what no, I no. meant was just when people stop working at their career, they stop. But that no, dude, seems really frightening to me, and uh, I. I don't know. That seems that seems terrifying. I think I would lose my mind. I would too. You're right. You're absolutely right. But you know what? Just I, as we're speaking here, I, I also feel like it's really important for me to say that, dude. I got a great scene happening. You know what I mean? Like I'm really, I'm really happy. Like everything that I need for me to make work uh, for myself is within my my power. I don't have to do things that I don't want to do within limits. Um, I'm I'm now, you know, a free agent, so I can just hire whoever is appropriate for what it is that I need to do. I can tour in in whichever capacity that I need to. For example, I've just been doing acoustic runs over the past couple of months. It's me, an acoustic guitar merch guy, front of house TM, and the overhead is zero. There's no catering backstage. That's beautiful. Dude, it's great. And it's like, you know, I, I decided the other month, I was like, I want to go see India. I've never been to India. So I booked a show in Delhi and I booked a show in Mumbai and it paid for the trip. You know what I mean? It's like, so as much as I, I say, oh, I would love to have enough capital to spend 10 years making a record, um, under no circumstances would I claim to be 
dissatisfied with where I'm at in life at all, man. Like, I just want to make that clear. Oh, but I, I didn't I didn't think you were implying that at all. Um, you know, it's interesting about that style of touring is it's a lot like the way that comedians tour. Um, I've always wondered how cool that must be. It's just them, a microphone, and a merch guy, and maybe one other person, maybe. That sounds so awesome. I wonder if if I mean I found I found I got a little bored of my own trip and I found I I went in inward a little much. You know what I mean? Like uh you have that much time on your own and and it's it's uh the tendency for the wheels to sort of spin uh is such that I think you can benefit from a little more social engagement, right? And with friends, not just the audience, but like people that will tell you that you're full of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like to have somebody with you that is able to say, dude, you need to stop thinking about this stuff right now. You know what I mean? Is is I think a something that would probably happen with comedians, definitely. They talk about that. They talk about how um if you're not careful, some of them at least, if you're not careful, uh, you know, the, yeah. you, it can get dark out there. This is what I. This is what I would fear, man. But it can get dark out there when you're on a package tour, too. Yeah, and it can get dark <laughs> out there when you're uh, uh, hyper aware of of certain uh, tendencies within your bandmates that begin to drive yeah. you crazy over time, too. Right? Like oh, that's a good point. But hey, man, I should probably start wrapping it up pretty quick. I gotta. I got my kid coming home from school. Sure, and I sure. Gotta get a couple other things done. But it's been it's been really great talking to you, buddy. Really great talking to you. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate you taking the time, and it's been great talking to you as well, and thank you for uh, coming on. Yeah, man, I think we have more in common than I assume. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Jay-Z Microphones. For over a decade, Jay-Z Microphones has combined all the critical elements of world-class microphone manufacturing, patented capsule technology, precision electronics, and innovative industrial design. Jay-Z Microphones' deep understanding of technology is informed by their open-minded, innovative approach. Trust us, sound can be glorious. Recorded. For more info, please go to jzmic.com. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today. 